first uh, met David through an incredible luncheon that was put on for us as pastors down in the Richmond, in Richmond. Yeah. And I've heard a couple of presentations of the International China Concern and I'm so impacted by this story and how it reflects the heart of God. And what an incredible, uh, subversive uh, way for the good news to just invade China by remembering the, the, the ones that are the most forgotten and the most abandoned. So, so touched by this guy's story. I know you're going to be blessed by him today. Good to have your family here today. You. And uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, let's pray. So, Lord, thank you for David and your faithfulness to him and your grace on him, your amazing grace, leading him, directing him through, through valleys of tears and to new streams of joy you've brought him. And, Father, I just feel there's many of us here today that just need to hear this story today. So we thank you for the timing of it. We pray that he'll feel at home with us as family. And that he'll be just free to open his heart and in truth and love just share your mighty works. And we give you glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. It's great to have the opportunity to be with you here this morning. I'm going to glance up at the clock and see that it's 10 past 10. If I haven't stopped by... No, 10 past 11. I haven't stopped by 12.30. Then let me know. No, I'm just kidding. That's not going to be the case at all. <laughs> okay, so that would be a short sermon then, would it? Okay, all right. Well, no, it is great to be with you. And for those of you that don't know me, uh, as God said, my name is David, David Gotts, and I'm the founder of International China Concern. But more importantly for all of you, I work with Karen Chu. Karen's a good friend of mine. And uh, just been an amazing lady who has served the work of ICC faithfully. There is also someone else here that I want to introduce to you, aside from my wife, Linda, and Jamie, my son. And that's Sonny in the back. Sonny, will you just stand up for me? So this is Sonny. And Sunny is a development officer, works with International China Concern full-time, and she's here with us this morning. And she's going to be at the back after the service. And if you have any questions, if you want to know more, you can talk to me, or you can please go and talk to Sunny, and she would be delighted to chat with you. Well, International China Concern is a ministry that for the last 25 years has served China's abandoned children, specifically abandoned children that have disabilities. And the scripture that was given to us as an organization, the scripture that anchors us into our relationship with God is from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10. Many of you will know it easily. In this scripture, Jesus tells us why he's come into this world. He tells us why he's come into a world that's in darkness, why he's come into a world that's been broken by sin and pain and suffering. And he says this, I've come that they may have life and life in all its fullness. That's what Jesus has come for, to bring life and life in all its fullness. Another translation says it like this, I've come that they may have an abundant life. This is what Jesus came for. This is why he came to the world, and this is why he comes to you and me. We don't just receive a gift of salvation in Jesus. We receive even more. Salvation is a great thing. It's the greatest thing. But beyond that is the gift of an abundant, full life in him. 
And yet the reality is, of course, when we look around the world, we see a very broken world, don't we? It's very different. It's not a world that's living in abundance. It's a world that's living in sadness and brokenness. And we long for the world to know the abundance that Jesus offers. And then as followers of Jesus ourselves, we also long for that abundance to be a deeper reality in our lives, don't we? I know that that's something that I hope for. The beginning of John 10.10 doesn't quite start so positively. It starts by saying this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's a little heavy, isn't it? When you think about abundant life and fullness, that feels light and life, but stealing and killing and destruction. And sometimes that is more the reality that seems to be the predominant one, the stealing and the killing and the destruction that goes on in the world in which we live. You know, when we hear about what's going on in places like Syria or in the Yemen, these wars where millions of people are being displaced, it seems like the stealing and the killing and the destruction is happening all around us. And that's not just out there. Sometimes we look internally, we look into our own lives, and we can feel like that ourselves too, like things have been stolen from us that things have been taken, destroyed, even killed within us. I've been in that place a few times, well, more than a few times, many times probably, since I began my journey with Christ when I was 16 years old. I know that we could all probably stand up and tell a story this morning of something that's been taken from us, something that's been stolen or killed or destroyed. For me, I've looked out into a world and I have seen the thief literally taking the lives of precious children in China. But not just out there, I've also walked through the pain of betrayal and felt like my trust in God's goodness was seemingly almost fatally wounded by how I was hurt through that. And I've lost those sometimes that I love the most dearly and I've wondered how I could possibly survive that. I've experienced some of that stealing and killing and destruction as I've looked into the world and looked into my own life. But here is what I have discovered. When the thief has tried to steal, kill, and destroy, for me, as a follower of Christ, that has become a conduit. It's become a conduit through which God has been able to move, and he's drawn me even closer to him. That's the paradox of faith, isn't it? That sometimes through dying, we live Sometimes in walking through suffering and pain and brokenness, we find abundant life. And this scripture, John 10.10, has not only encouraged us as a ministry, but it's encouraged me personally that Jesus wants to bring that abundant life to the darkest corners of the world, but he also wants to bring it to the darkest corners of our own hearts too. So this morning, I want to do something a bit different than what I would typically do. I want to just share three stories with you. And I hope that these three stories will encourage you, and I hope they will encourage you to know that Jesus wants to bring abundance through you into the world, but in you, in those places in your heart where you need it. I was 22 when I walked into a Chinese welfare center, which is what we would probably call an orphanage in China. It was an institution for abandoned children with disabilities. I'd arrived into the city of Nanning in the southern part of China. I'd been learning to speak Chinese. I was at the end of my study. I was looking for a ministry opportunity. And a good friend of mine who'd begun working in that orphanage, in that welfare center, invited me to visit. 
And as I walked through this round gate, I had no idea what I was going to experience, what I would encounter. I'll never forget to my dying day what I saw when I walked into that place. I knew I was going to see babies and children that had been abandoned by their parents. I knew I would see healthy baby girls that were unwanted and they'd been abandoned because of their gender. I knew I was going to see children with disabilities whose parents, due to the desperation of having no support and services, had also made the painful decision to abandon the child that they loved. I knew I was going to see hard things, but what I wasn't prepared for was the sheer hopelessness that I experienced as I walked around that place. Children sitting on the floor like ragdolls, not really moving, not crying, not laughing, just, just hopeless, really. Walking through rooms where there were babies in cribs, and not just one baby in a crib, but five babies in a crib. And looking down, and they were covered in skin diseases, they were malnourished. If you open the, the rags that they were wearing, you could see their ribs. And looking into the faces of these babies and seeing that these babies were dying. That within a few short weeks, they would no longer be there. Little toddlers, just like the one we saw running around here just a few minutes ago, tied onto chairs, bound at the wrists and feet, unable to move. Young children with disabilities that were emaciated and starving to death, literally skeletal. And if you looked in their eyes, there was no response at all, no flicker of recognition. It's like they were still breathing, but they'd already died on the inside. And the smell, the smell overwhelmed you of urine and feces and sour milk and coal dust. It created this just awful smell. And it was kind of like the smell of death. And that's what it was. These children were dying. 80% of them would die within a few weeks, maybe two to three months. And I'd never seen anything like that before. I remember the next morning coming back into that place, sort of stealing myself to, to, to re-enter. And as I came back in, the friend who I was visiting and I were told that a little new, newborn baby had come in that morning. She must have been born in the early hours of that day, and her parents had decided for some reason, it could have been sickness or it could have been her gender, that she wasn't wanted. And so she was found on the street naked, just a few hours old. She'd been brought into the welfare center, and my friend and I immediately went to go see her. And I remember looking down into the sweet face of this baby girl. We have a, a slide, actually, I'm going to put up, and this is actually her. Beautiful, isn't she? Looking down into that face and having this really chilling realization that she, like all the others in that room, would probably pass away within a few short weeks. She would be gone. She would be dead. And I turned to my friend and I said to her, what can we do? How can we help her? For some reason, I don't know what it was about her, but something about her just caught hold of my heart. And we spoke to the director of that welfare institution, and he said, oh, yeah, just take her. And so we took her back to my friend's place, and we looked after her. We cared for her that night. And we realized in the morning she wasn't doing well. She'd actually begun to cough up a little blood, and so we took her to the hospital, and we asked them to take care of her, and we thought, okay, well, at least she's got the care that she needs now. But when we went back to check on her later that day, we were simply told she's dead. She hadn't even lived more than 36 hours. I couldn't believe it. I'd held her in my arms. And when you hold someone in your arms, 
you give part of your heart. And when you fight for someone to live, it changes you. And she was gone. And in the midst of the pain and the sadness that I felt about this little girl that I called Rose, rose this desire for justice and rose rose a, a desire for love to prevail, for these babies and children to know more than just the stealing, killing, and destruction of their lives, for them to know the fullness of life, an abundant life that Jesus could bring them. And so I lay on my bed that night, and I prayed about all that had happened, and I prayed, and I said, God, do something. God, where is your church? Why is this happening? God, do something. And as I lay there, I remember just this sense in my heart, this still small voice coming to me and saying, David, you're here. What will you do? And I couldn't take it in, honestly. And then in the midst of such a horrible situation, God was asking me to do something. Me, to do something. Me. I mean, I just, like, what could I do? I didn't know. I, I mean, I'm not a doctor or a nurse or a therapist or an educator or a development specialist. I'd actually worked in banking for three years. That does not equip you, let me tell you, to help abandon children. But I've been shown a situation that I knew did not reflect God's kingdom. It did not reflect his love and his justice and his mercy. It wasn't bringing abundant life. In fact, it was exactly what the beginning of John 10.10 10 talked about. It was the stealing and the killing and the destruction of lives. And as I thought about all that, I just struggled in all honesty. I struggled with it all. And all my doubts and my fears of failure and my insecurity of not knowing what to do I'm not knowing even how to start. They kind of bubbled to the surface. And I left that place. And I went back to where I was studying Chinese. And for nine months, I struggled. I sometimes laugh. It was like becoming pregnant that day, I think. For nine months, it was like a seed was planted inside of me. And it needed nine months to grow. Nine months of struggle for me. Nine months of saying, God, I can't do this. It's too difficult. God, there's just... I don't know how we stand against the enemy in this kind of situation. But finally, I came to a point nine months in of saying, God, I can't do it. I didn't say, yes, hallelujah, Lord, I'll do it. I said, I can't do it because I knew I couldn't. And I really was just at the point of saying, God, please stop challenging me to do this. And that was when God spoke. And he said to me, you can't do it, David, but I can. I can. And that was the secret for me. That was the answer that I'd been looking for. It wasn't about me and what I could do. It was about God and what he wanted to do. It wasn't about my plan or my ideas. It was about his vision and his desire to bring his kingdom into the lives of these children. And that is how this work, International China Concern, began. It began through having my heart broken, through seeing stealing and killing and destruction, but believing that the promise of God is about abundant life, bringing a full life to me, to you, and to all those children in China's welfare centers. Encountering that darkness was just devastating. Losing that little girl that I held in my arms was painful. But God used it. God used it. As I shared with friends, as I began to tell people about what I'd seen, I saw something begin to grow, something be born. And that wasn't just the work of international China concern, 
But it was God moving in people's hearts, giving them a passion for his kingdom and to bring this abundant life to China's children. Well, the enemy meant for evil in those places became a conduit through which God drew me closer to him. And not only drew me closer, but actually gave me my calling, my vision, my place in the kingdom of God where I could serve and where I could be part of bringing an abundant life to China's children. And from that time, the work of International China Concern, that's what we've done. Bring the light of Jesus into the very darkness of China's welfare centers. We've been doing it for 25 years. This is our 25th anniversary this year. Amazing. Yeah. We, we, give, that, we give that applause to him because I don't know how we've managed to survive that long. I really don't. But what started 25 years ago, every day now brings the fullness of life to abandoned children who have disabilities in China. And not just abandoned children, but also families that have abandoned, uh, disabled children so that they can have the support, so that they don't make that decision to abandon. I'm going to say this at this point. You need to come and see. If you've never thought about going, think about it. Come and see. Come and see what God is doing in the midst of China, in the midst of China's children, in the midst of the government system. See, his, his, see him at work, and you'll see firsthand how God is bringing an abundant life to so many children, hundreds of children. We serve hundreds of children today. We minister to them. We provide them with homes that they live in. We provide them with love and care. We provide them with therapy and education. We provide them with vocational training. If you go, you just can't believe what God has done. There is an abundant life being lived in that place. So I want to encourage you this morning with this first story. When you look out at the world and you see pain and suffering and brokenness, when you see stealing and killing and destruction, know that it is Jesus' desire to bring an abundant life, to bring hope, to bring light into those places. And maybe as you look out and see that brokenness, you will be the one that God calls to take that abundant life to those particular ones that you see. Fast forwarding 10 years, I was a newly married man, just married Linda, and the work of ICC had grown, and people had come from all over the world, and we were just seeing God do amazing things in the lives of the children. We were seeing such incredible transformation, children that were hopeless now, full of joy and life, and seeing restoration and healing from the pain of abandonment. And God spoke to me in 2001 back then and said, it's time for you to leave China. And that was a shock to me because I thought I would spend my whole life in that nation. I came, Linda and I got married, and when I left China, I felt God leading me to hand over the work of ICC to one of my closest friends, a guy called Aaron. Aaron and his wife and the daughter that they'd adopted from a welfare center in China had worked with ICC for six years, and I saw in them everything that I hoped to see in leaders for ICC's work. I saw energy, I saw commitment, I saw passion, I saw enthusiasm, they were mature, they'd walked with me through some intensely difficult times, and I trusted them really deeply. And as 2003 began, so two years after I'd left, I began to hear that Aaron was struggling. And it seemed that the pressures of ministry, which are intense and real, and the pressures of working in China, which are also extremely intense and real, were beginning to overwhelm him. And I began to worry, was he going to be 
okay. And that worry began to become a deep concern as I saw some of his behavior change. I did everything I could to try and remove the stress that Aaron was feeling. I would take work off him. I would try to give as much support as I could. But I could see that he just wasn't doing well. And that wasn't just in terms of his own personal life. But things began to change in how he did things in the ministry. Another ICC project manager came to me and she said, you know, Dave, I'm just really struggling with the decisions that he's making and I'm, I'm losing my trust in him. And eventually that relationship broke down to the point where Aaron actually forbid that project manager for, to even step foot in the project that she pioneered and was running. Things were really coming unstuck within the work that we were doing. I got to China and I could see that things were really not good at all. But every time I sat Aaron down and said, you know, what's going on? I felt like I got deflected. I, I couldn't get through to what was going on in his heart. And I just, I couldn't do anything other than just tell him that I was concerned and that, that obviously these things needed to change. And I could do nothing but pray and ask God to show me what I needed to see. Well, within days of coming back from spending that time with him and our team in China, I got an email from Aaron's wife. And she told me that their marriage was failing. That Aaron had decided to leave her and her daughter. He'd become involved in another relationship with another one of ICC's senior Chinese leaders. It was absolutely devastating. The thing that I had feared, the thing that I'd prayed and said, God, please do not let it be like this. Please do not let this happen, was happening. And it was like a bomb going off. It was like a bomb going off. I felt like I could just see the collateral damage that was going to happen, how it would impact and devastate all the people within the ministry and within the teams in China. I got back on a plane, went back to China to see what I could do. And I sat Aaron down and tried to talk him through it and say, come on, don't make these decisions. But his decision was made. And I couldn't believe that this person who had been one of my closest friends, the best man at our wedding, the one to whom I'd entrusted the leadership of ICC's work in China, that he was making these decisions. And I honestly felt betrayed in every possible way. And as I looked, I could see that in this circumstance, the thief wanted to steal and kill and destroy. He was destroying a marriage. He was trying to destroy the leadership of the organization. He was trying to kill relationships that had been built impacting even our relationship with the Chinese government. And we came to the point of even wondering, could we continue? Would this cause us to fail, to, to give up? I still remember sitting one-on-one -on -one with each of ICC staff and telling them the news of what had happened and watching them crumple. Conversation after conversation after conversation. And it felt like we were broken. It was a heavy, heavy time. Linda remembers that. We walked many hours together and just in sadness and grief. But I focused on the healing of those around me and the care that others needed. And I just coped and got by. And I stuffed down all my questions and I stuffed down all my hurt and just got on with what needed to be done. And the work of ICC didn't falter or fail. God was incredibly gracious to us. People stepped up. People saw God's faithfulness in the midst of their pain, and out of it even came new projects, new opportunities to impact even more lives and even more children. It was incredible. But for me, 
I felt like something had been broken inside of me. The betrayal had gone deeper and it had impacted my confidence, my confidence in the goodness of God. I began to question whether God was good. You see, I prayed and I prayed and said, God, please don't let this happen. But I felt like my prayers had gone unheard. And I began to wonder, is God truly good? And it began to eat away at the foundation of my faith. I didn't know what to do. I just knew that something was broken. I felt like that knowledge of God's goodness, that confidence in his goodness had been destroyed. And nothing I did seemed to help. And so I just pressed on. And I continued on running the work of ICC, helping the children in China, starting my own family. That's when my lovely boy Jamie came along and then my other son Kieran came along. And life moved on as it often does. But those things were still deep down on the inside. It's about seven or eight years after that time that my second son, Kieran, was diagnosed with brain cancer. You can imagine that this was an incredibly overwhelming diagnosis for us to receive. Kieran was quite ill. He was in children's hospital. He needed treatment and he needed it quickly if he was going to survive. And we began a 10-month journey of radiation every day and chemotherapy uh, that went on and on. He spent time in the ICU. We had weeks in hospital. He had brain surgery, radiation. I mean, it just kind of went on. And it was a really dark and difficult time. And as I walked through that time, of course, the questions from eight years earlier about the goodness of God began to rise to the surface. They wouldn't go away. I didn't want to think about them, but all I could think about is, is God good? As I went through this situation with my son. And I felt like I was Teflon coated. Whenever anyone would give me spiritual input, any messages of encouragement, it felt like it would just bounce off me. It didn't go in. I couldn't take the encouragement. It just felt like I was un that the words were unable to reach me in that place where I needed to be reached. And all I could see was the questions that I buried for years on end. I wanted to lean into Jesus, but how could I lean on one if I didn't know that he was good? How can you trust if you don't know the one you're trusting in is good? About three months into Kieran's treatment, there was a conference about the dark night of the soul. Very dramatic title. And uh, of course it spoke to me because I was in my dark night of the soul. And I went to that conference, and whilst I was there, the teaching, again, felt like it was just bouncing off me. But there was one thing that stuck with me, and it's what I've just said. One speaker said this. He said, it's prerequisite. Our prerequisite to trusting God is to know his goodness. Because how can we trust someone if we're not sure of their goodness? And this stuck with me. It left me feeling actually quite helpless. Because I didn't know how to regain that assurance of God's goodness. But at the end of the conference, as things were finishing up, literally in the last moment, the speaker, the leader said, just one last opportunity. If anyone wants to be prayed for, put your hand up. And I kind of desperately and despondently put my hand up thinking, there's really no point for me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And as I closed my eyes and just sat there, I felt a hand on my shoulder. No idea who it was. And I just heard these words. I just love the way you hold Kieran. So Kieran was my second son that was going through cancer, had quite complex special needs. And we never quite know when the Holy Spirit is going to move and do something. But I knew in that moment the Holy Spirit was present and doing a deep work in me. 
And I knew what he was saying with those words. He, said, he was saying this, David, look at how you love your boys. Look at Kieran, look at how you hold him when he struggles to walk. Look how your eye is always upon him. Look how you protect him and you feed him and you carry him when he can no longer walk. That's what I've been doing with you. That's how I've been caring for you right back to that time when your friend betrayed you. And I sat there and I wept and wept. I wept and grieved for the years that had been lost. And I wept as God brought healing into my heart. Something happened that day. A knowledge of the goodness of God was restored in my soul. It was done in such a way that it feels irrevocable. It's like it was taken and planted in the deepest part of who I am as a follower of Jesus, like in the very foundational soil of our salvation and our life with him. And it changed me. It changed me forever. You know, sometimes there are parts, areas of our lives where we feel like something has been stolen from us. Maybe we feel like it was stolen a long time ago. Maybe we've given up hope that it can ever be restored. But Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and life in all its fullness, have an abundant life. And that day I experienced what it meant to go from having something that had been stolen and killed inside of me to life in all its fullness coming back into me. And I've carried that with me right through to this day. And since that time, we've walked through difficult times as a family. But when we face them, we face them knowing that foundation of God's goodness is with us. I'm going to jump forward to just a couple of years ago. In October 2016, I'd just returned from speaking at a conference, a missions conference in San Francisco. And while I'd been away, Linda had told me that our second son, Kieran, hadn't been very well. In fact, he was having a hard time walking. When I got back, we took him into BC Children's Hospital and we said, look, you know, something's going on. We think something's wrong. And they ordered a whole battery of tests. And within a very short time, Kieran's oncologist came back to us. And she said, you know, the radiation that he had previously has caused another cancer in his brain. That was devastating news for us. It caught Linda and I totally off guard because we didn't expect to ever have to face that again. And we had so many questions, particularly because Linda herself had been battling cancer too. And I would look at my family, at Linda and Jamie and Kieran, and I, could just, I just wondered, how can this be happening? I stopped work immediately. I couldn't really carry the stress. I said to ICC, I'm going to have to go on a leave. And in the midst of the grief and the stress and the sadness of what we were walking through, you would think once again I would have felt that the thief was trying to steal and kill and destroy. But this time the experience was different. The knowledge of God's goodness held firm. And in the midst of all we walked through, it didn't feel like it was being stolen. In fact, it felt like God drew nearer to us. And I felt his closeness in the most incredible way. The days became precious to us. Every minute became like glorious technicolor. We lived every moment. And as we walked through the last six months of Kieran's life, yes, we struggled with what we were facing. But the times when we were together as a family, the hugs and the laughter, it was like the presence of God was with us. And as Kieran's life came to an end, 
We spent about six weeks at Canuck Place and we were surrounded by community, we were surrounded by love. And even in the moment when Kieran passed away, whilst our hearts were literally breaking in two, it felt like a sacred and holy moment and that Jesus was present. Of course there was grief, lots of grief. But somehow in the midst of grief, there was also joy and there was a peace and a sense of God's hand being upon us. He drew close to us and stayed with us and I'm incredibly thankful for that. We will all walk through periods of sadness and pain and grief. We will. We'll all go through times when we think, you know, will my heart ever recover? But what I learned in that last experience, those last months of my son's life, was that God can come sometimes into the midst of sadness and grief. He can come into, the, into that heartbreak. And abundance can coexist with it. It isn't when the grief and the sadness is gone that abundance comes. But the fullness of life can be experienced sometime in the midst of sadness and grief. It's been over a year now since Kieran died. He died in May 2017. And we miss him and we grieve him every day. But I'm more convinced than ever that the experiences that I've walked through, the times when I've seen the enemy try to steal, kill and destroy... What I've seen is that Jesus is right there and he wants to meet us in the midst of them. And he wants us to experience and receive that offer of abundant life and that full life. So sometimes the abundant life he wants to bring is for a broken world out there, a world that's waiting for hope. And you may be called to be a conduit through which that abundant life and fullness of life flows. If God calls you, grab it. Have the adventure like I've had the adventure. You will never regret it. Sometimes the abundant life that he wants to bring is to areas of our lives where we feel like something was stolen from us maybe long ago. I held on to that sense of, of feeling broken and not knowing God's goodness for eight years. But there's hope. There's hope that he can res restore trust and innocence and the knowledge of his goodness to us as we reach out to him. And sometimes that abundant life that he wants to bring comes right in the midst of the struggles and the sufferings itself. We don't wait for it, but somehow it is present and with us, and it can turn something that is hard into something that is, has beauty and peace. So this morning, just as I close, I want to offer you an opportunity this morning to respond in whatever way you would like to respond. I do believe that Jesus came in order to bring an abundant life for us and an abundant life for the world. I've asked that we could listen to a song. I'm not sure if the worship team are going to play it or whether we have it on a video. It's on a video I'm getting from Stephen. Okay. And the song is called Forever Rain by Hillsong. And this is a song that speaks really of the life of Jesus, how Jesus comes into the midst of darkness, how he is the peace when we're crippled by fear. And this is the part that I love when we run into his arms because of the riches of his love. And as we listen, I want to encourage you this morning that if you feel like the thief has stolen something from you, then maybe stand and somebody will come and gather around you and pray for you. If you feel like something was stolen a long time ago and you need God to begin that process of restoration, restoration and bringing abundant life again in that area, stand and somebody will pray for you. And if you have that sense that maybe God is calling you to take that abundant life out into a world that's broken, stand 
and somebody will come and pray for you. Let's listen to this song, Bow Our Heads. And just as the song ends, or if during the song you want to stand, let us head, somebody will come and pray for you. Thank you.
If you're in the middle of prayer, don't feel you have to stop. We'll just kind of let that soak. There's really no words to say after a message like that, except to just allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. So we just want to give you permission to do that. Um, David's written a book about his experiences with International China Concern. Just a powerful story where you can just spend more time rather than the 30 minutes he had this morning. And you can just let that story challenge you and, and inspire you. What's it called, David? China's Oasis. China's Oasis. And there's some available at the back. So uh, 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 the, there's a table uh, there that you can see. Also, there's a long-term service opportunity, including scholarships, where you can go to China for a year. And just serve, and and like I said, I think there's scholarships available for this. So just, you know, if, if you just have to have the heart, uh, and the and that sense of of God's love, drawing you to learn, and and uh, believe me, you'll receive way more than you'll give, but I know they'll appreciate what you can give too. And uh, just. Um, as a church, I just would really love to meet our goal. So if you can just sign up uh, to walk the wall. I'm not walking as an individual walker. I'm walking as part of our team. Uh, just feel I want to do it. Whether I even got a cent for doing it, I feel like I want to walk just as an act of intercession in prayer and um, solidarity, similar to our reconciliation walk we did exactly a year ago where we canceled our whole church and, and walked the bridge uh, with 70,000 people downtown. It feels similar to that. But of course, uh, money is important. So um, if you can help uh, sponsor our team or sign up yourself and get sponsors, that would be great. So thank you, David. Thank you for coming and not just sharing your story, but your heart and uh, to your family. Thank you for being with us. What a gift, what a blessing. What a great, great way to start our, our Justice Month. So we have uh, Nicola's, this is her last Sunday, and uh, Nicola's been a blessing to us over the last few months. We've really enjoyed having you in our community, Nicola. So uh, we're just, just would like to invite some people, uh, when I've dismissed, just to come and gather around her and to pray for her. And... Uh, did you have something you want to share? I just wanted to thank Jamie for coming uh, uh, publicly and also to really speak, I think, um, an exhortation towards all of us. That, and particularly, David, I just received a new call to go back into a Christian school and I'm working in a high school. It's a small high school. 
And I really feel God wants you to be able to speak to children and youth, particularly young people. They need to hear this message that uh, God opens a door where it seems to be shut, the conduit of grace. Nicola, that was beautiful. The Holy Spirit came on you and you were dancing. And you could see that there's a purpose in what you're going through. And so I feel like the kids, we don't give our kids enough of a challenge. And I asked Jamie to pray for me because I feel like we, we're going to see in the future God raising up young people in such a way, uh, not only to go to China, but really to bring a, a renewed sense of purpose in our lives besides getting a new car. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Kathleen. So why don't you stand if you're able to? Let me bless you. The words that came to my mind is, as uh, David was sharing that last story, well, all three stories, was Paul's prayer that I want to pray for you as a benediction today. Therefore, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom the whole family and heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you out of the riches of his storehouse that you be strengthened with all might in the inner person, that you being rooted and grounded in his love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth, and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think. Unto him be glory in the church, world without end. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be blessed. Amen. There's coffee at the back. Take some time in fellowship. Kids sign out as in a still in about 20 minutes, so you got some time. And just some people help us pray for Nicola that we're connected with her. That would be great.